you're a paramedic, you have to sort of have your head buried in the sand, not to really realise, you know, what has been happening and what um, the importance of personal safety and situational awareness is. So you can do it right as you're, you're ro rolling up to the scene in your ambulance. You can do a windscreen assessment. So uh, LACES basically stands for Lookout, Awareness, Communications, Escape Routes, and lastly, Safety Zones, like where you're going to escape to. Maintaining that awareness, we're seeing getting more and more agitated. Um, is there something nearby that, some bricks nearby that you might grab if he's you know, agitated or that sort of thing. So you're not looking directly just at the patients. You might be looking at the coffee table or behind the front door as you walk in. If there's a, you know, some, I have seen baseball bats with nails in them, you know, mm -hmm. uh, behind the front door. So that are the sort of things you've got to keep in the back of your mind um, and be mindful of if something kicks up. Welcome to the ED Jam. What's up? Um, welcome to the ED Jam um, for another week. Uh, and today I'm chatting to um, Theo. Um, Theo, welcome to the podcast, bro. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on, Ben. You. Um, now, you'll get into a little bit about who you are, Theo, but um, I first yeah. caught your eye or first looked at some of your videos that were up on the gram. Um, and you're a paramedic and a couple of them sort of really caught my eye. There were a couple of ones um, in relation to sort of cases that had come up, some videos that were pretty viral that were out there and you were commenting on them from a, a paramedic's perspective. I love those. Um, and that's when I first was like, man, who's this guy? Uh, and then we started to touch base and we're here. Yeah, it's cool. It's been a little while since we first like lined up and like, yeah, we should, we should have a chat. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad we're finally here. It's good to be here. And yeah, it's cool. It's cool meeting other Aussie clinicians, which are in the online sort of social media slash education space. Um, I think it's something which there's a little bit of a gap in Australia in comparison to places like the UK and definitely the US, where there's a huge like EMS, emergency medicine, um, healthcare presence on social media. Um, and that's where sort of I came into it as well. Um, in terms of my uh, impetus to start creating content like this. Um, I was a student paramedic and um, was doing a lot of my like just casual study, I guess, on social media, like finding pages which have cool, easy, digestible little um, little nuggets. Mm. And I found that there was like, there was cool, there was like med, uh, med student pages, even midwifery pages, nursing pages. I couldn't really find student paramedic or paramedicine specific ones. Um, so I was like, well, I'll just start one as a my own sort of study, like, yeah. you know, CPD, I guess. Um, started reaching out to other student paramedics on Instagram just to sort of network and build some kind of community. And the, the big thing we did at the beginning there was just sharing student paramedic stories. Mm. We got up to number, I don't know, we had numbers. We had a lot. We got up um, towards 100, I think. Wow. Just sharing, sharing like... Um, it should be like a post, some images sent in and, and caption written by the person um, and just sharing their pathway motivation, you know, into healthcare, paramedicine, that, that sort of thing. Um, and then from there, just sort of um, increase into, you know, as I developed, I developed the content to be, you know, what I'm studying at the time, I guess, um, and to be more relevant for CPD in general. Um, mm. Yeah. And it's pretty rad. Lucky I saw you got 30K followers on Insta. Um, and just even some of your videos are really short, sharp, easy to digest. Uh, and I'd recommend if anyone hasn't checked it out, which we'll talk about your podcast stuff in a sec. Um, yeah, and Instagram stuff in a sec. Um, now, first of all, for everyone, we're actually going to be talking about vigilance. And this kind of ties into this situational awareness. I know you're pretty keen to talk about it. Why, first of all, these topics? Like there's so many things to talk about. You're a clinician. You love looking at like the body in so many different ways. But we're chatting about non-technical factors. And why are they important mm. to you and why are they important for us to hear on the podcast? Yeah, no, good question. Um, I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there was a bit of a gap in the social media uh, space. So I sought to sort of wedge into that space and fill it to a degree. Um, and then I think um, this is another gap in um, healthcare, at least paramedic education. So with all the content I was focusing on, it was all, a lot of it was just, you know, um, like you say, technical skills. Um, assessments, uh, management, you know, drug protocols, pharmacology, um, trauma, triads and all that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, but then, uh, you know, I was told this when I was a student on road, not 
not by my uni so much, but, you know, by mentors, I remember them telling me, like, and I'm sure many people have had this um, said to them as well. They're like, you know, Thea, remember 80% of our job is communication. You know, um, a lot of what we do is just is, is therapy and it has a huge amount of power behind it. Even if someone needs clinical therapy, drugs or some other management, um, the communication um, is very important goes a long way in augmenting um, that and putting the person, you know, in a, in a good state, in a good space to be able to, to receive that treatment well. Mm. That's good, man. It's so true. Hey, there's so many different other factors that are involved in it. I was looking at a, some stats and it was sort of saying that like, you know, there was, um, I think they reviewed like 2,455 patients and of those that had bad outcomes, like 70% of the issues were related mm. to communication as being one of the big issues. Um, obviously the other 30 were clinical factors, but it just shows you that we're realizing now in the clinical space that the communication, that personal factors are really big and we need to be on point and we need to not only learn how to be a good clinician, but how to be a good communicator, especially in a crisis, um, which we can talk about. Um, now for everyone listening, what's your deal? Um, where do you work or, you know, what do you do? Um, running the, um, Instagram stuff. Um, yeah. What do you do? Um, when you're not doing I'm just an on-road paramedic. I work full-time for the state service down here in Tasmania. Um, in my role, uh, just a general duties paramedic on a you know double crew ambulance. Um, I do little bits here and there, and I'm you know applying for other roles such as um, mental health, uh, sort of a new role we've got down here, uh, which is pretty cool. And that's where a lot of this sort of um, becomes relevant, and where I've been able to in the mental health cases that I have attended, which we can talk about later. This is where rubber really meets the road with this you know the importance of this sort of thing um so yeah so that's that's what i do for my, for my work down here and i live um in uh sunny fern tree in tasmania if anyone knows where that is it's not yep. so sunny right now <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway i think that um yeah that that's sort of where i'm at um and alongside the communication that importance there um i, I think you mentioned before situational awareness is something which i see another big gap in which um, yeah, definitely keen to have a chat about if you look at any study, um, you know, recent study in, you know, Australasian Journal of Paramedicine or wherever else, you'll see that the paramedics and paramedic students' situational awareness is either either very poor or um, there's not enough research to draw on to make an assessment sort of thing. So that's a big space um, as well, which is, um, yeah, very nice to chat about and, and to watch. Yeah, keen, man. Um, and it's interesting too, like, hey, yeah, I know you said just a uh, general duties ambulance, um, like paramedic, but I think it's important to remember that um, we're all important in it. I was actually chatting to a paramedic who came in today in the ED and he was talking about going through some EC, well, you know, ECP training or trying to move himself up. And mm. we just talked a bit about like, it doesn't matter what's on your lapel. It's what's, you know, done in terms of the way you treat people and the way you made them feel and also providing every time you attend a job, whether or not those lapels have changed whether or not your role has changed, providing mm. the same service to the patient. Obviously what you yeah. can do can change. You may be more skilled, but in the end you still provide an amazing service at the highest level. And I think that's important. Um, it's true. Hey, the yeah. patient won't remember the color of your lapels. Yeah. That's but true. They won't remember how, how you made them too. Yeah. And I, I know it's like, can be a bit cliche and a bit like, Oh, wow. So inspirational, <laughs> but it, it's just, it actually is true. Like um, that real, that's really important. Um, and yeah. now it's just important as well, um, in relation to that is I love how even, you know, like in your third year, like you're getting through all your training, but you're already identifying that this is an important topic. So I like that, you know, it's not when you're 10 years in or 20 years in, it's like you're, you're in and you're like, oh man, this is really important. Um, mm. I think that's, you've got some really good experience that we can talk about. Um, let's start and chat a little bit, um, about this sort of stuff and how we can sort of, and we want to give you some cases as well. Like, I guess we'll give a little brief view. You're going to run through what you've learned from it, how you applied it to, to your job and your workplace, uh, and then maybe some clinical cases and how they relate to this topic and how we can kind of like meld it all together to bring us home some bite-sized pieces. Um, yeah, big sure. home Something that we can chew on. Uh, yeah. And so we can actually put it into practice as a clinician. Yep. That sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, and just quickly, why did you do paramedicine just off, off topic? Like you, did you do anything before you did um, became a paramedic? Have you got any training in relation to communication or yeah? Uh, well, so I was um, a botanist before becoming a paramedic. So there's not much communication there. Plants don't talk. 
Uh, so were you really? Um, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was a botanist. I, I still love, you know, we want a bush block here. I love nature. I love plants and all that sort of thing. Um, but unfortunately, the work didn't um, crack up to be, you know, all that I sort of had hoped it would be in, in terms of um, time out bush. Yep. The ratio of time in the bush compared to time in the lab. Um, so you know, I was just doing um, very repetitive things, writing articles. You know, it's just repetitive on the computer all day, um, and wouldn't see the light of day. You know, throughout winter down here in Tassie. So, um, so I decided, you know, I've got to find something else. And about this time was the um, I just put in real, real short nutshell. But the mm-hmm. um, this was like 2016 was like you know when the refugee crisis was quite high up in Europe. Um, and my church has like a, a couple of international disaster relief and medical agencies. So I went and volunteered over there um, and they were doing, um, they had a medical clinic for the, uh, what's it called? The refugee hotspot in, in one of the major refugee camps over there mm-hmm. uh, on Lesbos, Moria. And then also in Office where I went and I just did general duties support there. I did um, translation and I'd never really been that confronted and up close with life and death and desperation and all these sorts of things. Mm. Um, and I found myself being really fulfilled, being able to perform somehow innately, you know, under pressure and make a difference, um, mm. make a measurable difference. And that was cool. So I decided when I came back to study paramedicine. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Those journey, those um, experiences are huge because they do shape what we do and then how we do it. They, mm. they change mm. our career, but then they also change. I almost think they change who we are as people. Um, I certainly did. Let's get cracking. Um, run us through some stuff that you're talking about in relation to vigilant. Why is it important to be vigilant in the workplace? Um, it's important mm. to be situationally aware like this. Mm. Start with that. Well, I think it's um, it's pretty evident right now um, due to the you know very disheartening and sad news about things that have happened in the paramedic community uh, to officers um, in the recent history within Australia and internationally. I think it's, um, if you're a paramedic, you have to sort of have your head buried in the sand, not to really realize, you know, what has been happening and what um, the importance of personal safety and situational awareness is. Um, and and it's a sort of, it's something which doesn't come naturally. It's something which you have to really, really um, make a concerted effort to, um, to maintain. So I find that I struggle uh, and, and you know there's articles which say that you know people during night shift struggle the most you know and and i find that's when i really struggle <laughs> with this sort of thing but it's probably when you really need to have your wits about you the most um so i've I, I sort of have a couple of processes that i like to go through in my mind we did a post on this last year mm-hmm. uh and this uh there's the a, a mnemonic which mm-hmm. I, I use I like called laces pro. yeah yeah so i need them i need them okay. um I can't wrote learn too much. So laces is this? Um, it's a, it's a good uh, mnemonic, and it, it's sort of you can apply it straight from the get go. You don't have to be in the case in the scene deep or like have um, I don't know you know engage the patients in terms of patient care and all this sort of stuff to apply it to. So you can do it right as you're you're ro- rolling up to the scene in your ambulance. You can do a windscreen assessment. So uh, laces basically stands for lookout awareness. Communications, escape routes, and lastly, safety zones. It's like where you're going to escape to. Cool. Uh, so I can I can sort of use a case and talk to you talk you through how I sort of apply this to a case that I went to once. Yes. Um, so, so laces we'll, like laces you wear on your shoes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. L a c e s. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, lace on the shoes. Yeah. Easy. So anyway, so we um we were called to a case. Uh, it was a um. A person with no fixed abode, you know, some people call them homeless people, whatever you want to call them, someone on the street uh, who um, was sort of passed out and their friend who was there was concerned for him because he's got a history of, he's epileptic um, and she wanted him to be assessed. So um, when we get there, it's sort of in an alleyway, like an L alleyway, so sort of branches from narrow around a 90 degree corner to a wider area. That's where we parked our ambulance and you can, drive the ambulance out. It's like a U, U-turn eventually sort of thing. Mm. So we're in this corner of this alley. Um, he's behind some skip bins and he's on the floor, sort of lateral position, breathing adequately, well perfused from a distance we can see from the, so from the windscreen rather. Uh, so um, beginning with the first letter, L, look out. Like it, we're just assessing the scene, looking if there's any um, signs of danger in terms of like, I don't know, the, is he holding a hammer or a knife and 
Um, is there something nearby there? Some bricks nearby that he might grab if he's you know agitated or that sort of thing. So you're not looking directly just at the patients. You might be looking at the coffee table or behind the front door as you walk in. If there's a, you know, some I have seen baseball bats with nails in them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, behind front door. So that are the sort of things you got to keep in the back of your mind um, and be mindful of if something kicks up. Um, uh, then so that's L lookout awareness is maintaining that awareness throughout the uh, the scene really throughout the whole case. It's mm. easy to become task focused. I find it easy to become task focused. Like oh, I've got to get this cannula in, or I've got to get my reference book out and look at this mental health assessment, or whatever you know you yeah, might yeah. be doing. Um, but being aware of um, changing scene dynamics, I think, is really important and for me. It's something which takes practice uh, a lot of uh, attention to. Maintaining that awareness, we see him getting more and more agitated. There's nothing around really. There's the bottle. That's the only real danger. Um, and sort of still sticking out of his backpack. So it wasn't out there. It was just in the backpack. Uh, C is communications. So that's between you and your colleague, but also with your portable radio, with your command center. He's refusing assessment. He's just sort of mumbling and stuff. Um, it's evident that he's intoxicated. You know, there's an empty bottle and he smells of um, alcoholic beverage. So... Mm-hmm. And um, so we're just maintaining communication together in terms of how we're feeling. My, my partner at the time was pregnant. She was like, mm-hmm. you know, like 28 weeks or something. Um, and then um, he, the, the patient's friend is, you know, that, that chatting, she's trying to encourage him. So we had time to sort of speak, you know, privately in and out um, as she's assessing. E is escape routes. So looking, um, making note as you're entering the scene, you know, where's my escape route going to be? Mm. Um, things hit the fan and then safety zone uh so where's my escape route going to take me am i going to go down a dead end somewhere or am i going to be able to get an ambulance and lock the doors or that sort of thing yeah and we made sure that um you know the ambulance as i said was headed for home we had a clear escape route there there were skip-ins around but we were making sure that we weren't standing between the skip-ins and um you know patient us skip-ins ambulance we're sort of back here so yeah, we, we didn't have to jump the bins. Mm-hmm. Um, and the safety zone was the ambulance ultimately. Mm-hmm. So like um, I'm holding the monitor. The monitor is like it shouldn't be used like this, but it's something that gives you a bit of confidence of safety because it's a heavy thing. You know, if yeah. someone lunges at you, you can drop it in front of them or whatever, you know, make an obstacle or whatever you want to do. Um, so, you know, I maintained that in front of me and um, just backed off. Um, my partner run ran. I think sometimes it's very appropriate to run and I'm not mm. – trying to tell people when it, you should or you shouldn't run. Mm. Um, but sometimes uh, we'll get into this later on, maybe with situational awareness. But, yeah, your body language, I think, is important in these situ- sort of situations. You don't want to look cocky, but you don't want to look panicky. You know what yeah. I mean? In yep. terms of, yeah, it's a fine line, and it's something which I don't want anyone to take advice from what I'm saying about when it's right to do the, no. you know, either one. But, um, but yeah, that's another thing. So basically we, we, just, you know, we ran off, backed off, got in the ambulance um, and just updated comms with your portable radio, with your command center. Uh, it's important to, to keep that on you. I think it's, it's kind of amazing. Uh, I don't know if it surprises you, maybe where you are, it's different, but um, probably like 70% of the paramedics in my service don't carry their portable radios on them. Okay. Uh, yeah, unreal. Um, I'd be interested to hear, seeing comments or wherever to see what, what uh, other services are like in terms of that. Um, because they're in the way or they're too heavy or what's the rationale yeah. for not carrying them just because they Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like some people leave them in the truck. Other people might have them like in their the monitor bag. Okay. Um, but I think it's mostly because people are like, oh, it's bulky. I don't like wearing stuff on my belt or even though we've got a dedicated pocket in our trousers mm. as well. Yeah. Anyway, that's really important. Um, it's saved people before to have that. You've got a duress button and boom, you know, you don't even have to say anything. Mm. Yeah. We didn't press duress because we were safe mm. um, in the ambulance. And yeah, we ended up going back to him later on when he was, um, he was uh, caught shoplifting. Um, so <laughs> we completed well. our assessment then because he wanted an assessment. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. And you're right, man. Like, Hey, like, every situation is different and you look at some situations where someone's got hurt, like in the workplace or mm. by, by a patient. And sometimes you sort of think, man, that could have been me. Like there was nothing that they really did that was any different. Sometimes yeah. uh, other times you can think, oh yeah, that was probably, maybe we could have done this differently. And I think it's always mm. good to review, like you said before, think about it 
like retrospectively and think what what did we do what could we have yeah done differently sure. but i think sometimes it's hard eh? like you could easily get caught out um with some with some people and just be like man i didn't expect that quick question like in relation to body cams worn uh in tassie for mm. i know in new south wales i was trying to bring out body cams for paramedics to wear yeah i remember um, seeing that yeah and yeah we don't that, have them here okay I was did hearing, you hear something yeah i heard that they were starting to bring them out in new south wales and that you actually could if you tapped it, it would record the previous 30 seconds of an event. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. Like yeah, it was pretty cool. We, we can do that with the ECG monitor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll say um, pretty cool. But yeah, I like what you raised sure. in relation to um I like what you raised in relation to that um escape routes, hey. Like as in the in the hospital, I mean it's not always a big deal for us, but it is in some mm. times when we go into a safe assessment room. Um, or examining a patient who could be, you know, aggressive or, and looking, just making sure you know you, where you are and not getting trapped in a position where you can't escape. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We get used to work like in healthcare in general. Like we're very different to most healthcare um, settings because we don't have support from someone else just in the next room or your, yep. your orderlies or security or whoever they might be. Um, and we don't have lots of different, you know, yeah, support avenues like that. We're on our own. We can often forget that. Um, this, what you're talking about there as well comes into play, you know, if you're a paramedic, you'd be familiar with, if we're transporting someone, uh, let's say we don't have, um, police available, for instance, to, to, and someone we're slightly concerned with in terms of their, um, unpredictability, uh, we'll situate ourselves in the airway seat, which is sort of, you know, closer to the door between the door and the patients of the patients okay. on the stretcher or the patients in the treatment seat sitting upright. We'll be in the airway seat um, and that way, easy to get up and go. And that's definitely saved me in the past. Yeah. Really? Um, and other people too, I'm sure. Do, do you do the laces thing as a sub as a subconscious thing? Or you mentioned before, like, is this something that we can try and like do just really quickly at the top of my head, just sort of like run through it just before I make my decisions to like, almost like a danger thing. Like, a, you know, we do yeah. doctors ABC. It's almost like at the start of the D in the D you run through a quick little assessment before you're stepping out into an environment that you're unsure about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like it becomes second nature to me. I find even I'm doing it when I'm not at work. Okay. Um, like I don't switch off. <laughs> okay. Um, like I'm not paranoid, but I just, you know, it's something which you, bec- I, I feel like I become more aware of things. Like when we mm-hmm. go to a patient, we don't go through our head, you know, when we were students, we were told to verbalize, you know, Okay, I can see they're talking, the airways, patents, yes. yeah, they're breathing adequately, they're well perfused. Like you don't say that and you don't go through those steps just like that with every patient you go to. Yep. That you're subconsciously doing that and you're taking those cues in where you know, with your illness scripts, whether to make a, a good picture or a bad picture in terms of patient presentation. So you have that same sort of assessment mindset in terms of scene presentation. How's the scene presenting itself? Mm. Um and yeah, definitely like be advocate for going through those letters. It's really important. Go through those letters until you start finding yourself not going through them, but still taking in that information. That makes sense. No, 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 for sure. It's it's almost like you've got like a, uh, you know, it's like, it sounds really silly. Like, I mean, when we do coach, you run through an algorithm, but then after a while you know the algorithm and you can run it off the top of your head. Um, But sometimes those algorithms are good and those acronyms are good because then you start to just do it innately. It's like second nature. Um, and I think what's cool is like, you know, for us, our environment's very much the same, not always, but, um, and for you guys, you step into a house and everything changes, you know, you've got mm. the same patient, a different patient with a different problem. Um, but the house, the stairs, the, you know, the weather, all these external factors, which really play, play a huge part, um, in the way in which you treat patients, um, or the way in which you can get access to them or for safety for yourself. I think personal safety, like you said, is huge. Um, mm. I mean, I finished work the other night and there was a, a gentleman who was um yelling and like sort of went over to him and then tried to, you know, I, I have a conversation with him. And then I did notice that there was a broken brick in his towards his right hand and did look at it, but I probably got a bit too close if I was personally honest with you in terms of just maybe should have been a bit more cautious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he threw sure. it in, in my direction. The poor gentleman had a lot going mm-hmm. on for himself. Um, mm-hmm. I think he was just frustrated, but I think that's a, you know, it could have been something different. I think things I should think about is like that, you know, where you guys are so good with that sort of stuff, thinking and looking and just sort of like making that assessment. 
it happens yeah. yeah it happens for sure like you know I, I learn you know as I go all the time about you know how to talk to people I'm reading I mean yeah and that's some, something you know that I could do better or worse sometimes mm. um and I'm reading a good book now I, I'd recommend this book yeah what's um, called it's called never split the difference it's a pretty popular book okay it's um by a like ex-hostage negotiator from the FBI and cool. he he sort of has business applications in there and I find it pretty useful in everything like just your interpersonal relationships and how to how to get on side how to um gain you know confidence and trust and rapport and, and you know yeah that sort of thing which is really important in like in, in every single every single stage of life and at yeah. work everything from you know patient care to triage to to everything you know it's it's that's that's the most that's what we're talking about you know communication yeah, yeah and I, th- I think we do it well with pediatric patients when we've got them because we build their yeah. trust in order to do you know, give them any to give them a sugar, do their sugar, or we, you know, we're trying yes. to engage with them to try and get something for us in a way so we can treat them or examine them. Sure. Um, and then sometimes we forget to build that rapport with the other types of patients. And we're like, man, I should have, I remember stabbing a dude with Traperidol. And then he looked at me and goes, how about a band aid, you idiot? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> like, you know, he's just, but I was like, you know, like same thing. I was like, oh, he, like, you know, yeah. I'll take it on board. I'll take it on board. Like, sorry, dude. Like, yeah. You know, like I probably no, should have been, you know, like I just think sometimes we, we forget that there's someone there and um irrespective yeah. of what's going on, we can do something you know a bit better. It's easy, it's easy, you know, everyone, most people are naturally inclined to gain rapport of a child. Like it's within us, it's instinctual. Yeah. And it's it's not instinctual all the time to try and gain rapport with someone who's been a threat to us. Yes, correct. But like you said, it's often times that the other people that really need it the most because they're hurting or they feel desperate or uh, they don't have the, the attention that they're they need that sort of thing yeah mm. and this kind of ties into this situational awareness i know you're pretty keen to talk about it um it's important mm. to be situationally aware like this is stuff, sort of stuff stems into that um and you know there's like safety tools there's safety checklists we can use there's heaps of different things um talk to me about situational awareness why is it important as a clinician um not just from the media but from your experience as well yeah for sure it's like i think if i can sum it up in a sentence is that People are well. People can be unreasonable, mm. um, and it's it, there's oftentimes no well. There's you know there are subtle cues and things you can see which might indicate that someone might be unpredictable, mm. but but they, it can get you by surprise. Okay, I think I think we can all, all um, potentially share a story that we've heard or an experience that we've had where someone which didn't have any cues um, that we sort of picked up on. Mm. um did act unpredictably yeah. when did you when so, did you first notice that people were unreasonable when did you first like you come in fresh you want to help people that's why you're a paramedic when did you go bang people are unreasonable yeah well that's it that's the thing hey like i think it's pretty early on in my internship I'm, I'm you know like it's easy to go to cases where people are let's say intoxicated and police are there and they're angry at the police and like oh we didn't call you we didn't want to be and that sort of thing and then you step in as the paramedic you know like you know I've got the badge, I'm a paramedic, I've got the monitor, you know, I'm here to help. And um, and then they're just as rude to you. <laughs> like, oh, hold on, I'm here to help. I'm not a police officer. I'm not here to tell you to go home or, you know, this or that. Um, so so that's, um, yeah, that, it, yeah, I think just little situations like that early on. woke me up to the fact that and, and you know obviously when you go to, to people who are suffering with different mental health um, problems or drug intoxication yeah your eyes are opened um, mm-hmm. you know one paramedic um, well-known paramedic he said that this job is a backstage past life and you see all sorts of things which you know as a botanist as a ignorant botanist you know socially ignorant botanist I um, wouldn't really uh, expect to find but yeah yeah, society's wild, man. Mm, um, that, and that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, we that's it. We all wear, have a front, you know, that we show, and to to see people in their raw situation um, is quite something. Quite a privilege. Mm. Um, heavy, yeah, privilege. That's interesting. Mm. Run, run me through, um, yeah, what you've, how you imp- 
employee situational awareness when you're working? Yeah, cool. So laces, that's that's the that's the go-to thing. Yeah. Um, in terms of looking at and making sure all those things are, are crossing a look, checking my mirrors. Yeah. Um, and I think then I think I guess it's a good time to segue into like what um how to modulate or what's the right way to say this, but how to to incorporate your communication into your situational awareness, you know, because you can observe things with your eyes and ears and nose, you know, you can smell smoke or whatever, the situational awareness. But I think then probing with your words uh, and communication, that's that's an important thing. So um, there was another post that we did on this. Actually, we had a police officer come and help us with this post. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the title of it. It was last year sometime. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and the, the the things which, you know, I took out for notes for that were this is something which he uses in law enforcement. So it's cool having that overlap and it's cool chatting with um, officers. We never get a chance. I like to chat about, you know, how they do things. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's very different. They have a, a different approach, a different angle. Um, but big things for him, um, which tie over to paramedicine is uh, if you sort of substitute, like forget about laces, um, something which he said in terms of, of approaching a scene is is more social um, which is cool so you're observing the patient or person um, and you are building rapport as soon as possible but you and um, also report so mm. building a rapport but you're also reporting any immediate threats or dangers or or things that you need you know do you need an extra crew do you need police backup or you know a different van whatever um, so you're doing that straight away uh, and you're making sure your body language is open mm. And that if things escalate, uh, you can really see how, I guess you can see which way, which what the trajectory of the escalation will be if someone's like escalating emotionally um, by maintaining your um, tone and voice hmm. at a low level. Yeah. So like if it's natural instinct to try and match or exceed the person's escalation, um, but uh, keeping yours low, keeping like a good voice, something, something which I picked up on, which is cool I heard was, um, actually it's from that book I mentioned, um, when you really need to sort of reassure someone or make someone feel safe, um, switch voices from being like an open sort of uh, positive voice like we're using now to mm. more of a smooth late night FM DJ voice is what he says. So it's got like okay. downward inflections. Downward inflections is sort of confidence inspiring. It's slow and it's um, it's not hectic and racing. Uh, don't try and ask me to impersonate it. I was just about to ask you to impersonate it. I was like, come on, man, smooth talk me and DJ. Yeah, no, no, we don't want people tuning out now. So I'll let them uh, imagine that themselves. Uh, and then, yeah, you got to listen and um, listen to what the person's saying. Give them space to express themselves fully and repeat what they're saying. So mm. something this book um, talks about is, you know, we, we, we all talk about actually, we probably trained to some degree in active listening. Mm. And, and uh, there's a cool proverb I like from the Bible. It says, uh, you know, be, be quick to listen, but slow to answer mm. and slow to, slow to anger. So um Listen more than you allow your emotions and your responses, uh, you know, to inject into the conversation, into the interaction. And, and let them simmer. You know, if they're, if they're angry, let them simmer because you don't want to risk shaking a Coke. You know, if you shake a Coke bottle and you open it quickly and you're like, you know, just unload, tell me everything, you know, let's just go, let's go to, let's go to the hospital now. If you just try and do it or if you rush it, the Coke goes everywhere. But if you open it slowly, things calm down a bit more. Um, and, you know, you don't want to by mistake at a, a verbal mentos to the, to the coke and make it real bad yeah yeah for sure so so in terms of situational awareness with, with your communication i think it's just um having that good conversation skills communication skills and then you can gauge if they are completely unreasonable or if you can sense some sort of emotion and and find where that is and try to label it for them um i think that helps by labeling, I don't mean like in the negative sense of the, the word, which we might use these days, but sort of name it so that they know that you know how they feel. Yeah. If, if they've expressed it, if they're like saying, I'm angry, you can label that. Okay. So you're angry because, you know, you, mm. you want to speak to your brother, but they won't let you talk to him or something, you know? Yeah. 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 So let's say someone's, um, I don't know, just said something like, you know, expressed suicidal ideation or something just flippantly or whatever when they're having an argument with a family member then the family member calls the ambulance but then they don't know the ambulance is coming yep. and then they're all upset and angry and you know all these sorts of things uh, then you can say look it seems like you know you're really upset because we've caught we've turned up in the middle of this you know emotional time for you and a sensitive time for you and 
um, we weren't invited by you. You weren't yeah. expecting us, and you feel like your privacy has been invaded by your family member. You know, That's for nice. bringing us in, in this. and and using the words like it seems like rather than um, like you look like or yeah. or you know it sounds like you're angry, like because it takes away the you. I think yeah, people okay. it can be a bit of a triggering word. Triggering mm-hmm. word, you know, if someone uses the word you um, towards you it's almost like accusative or triggering. I don't know. It seems a bit softer to use. Like it seems like that's. Yeah, it's yeah. good. No, I like it. I think it's when, in your opinion, does that commu- when do like, I, I know in my head when I think communication fails and when we fail in communication, that's a really big one. Then when you're sort of like, hmm. you know, it's you're almost like using something so close to it, but not it. And it, it makes a difference. Um, You know, yeah. it's like noise. Like it's something so small sometimes that can be so loud. You know, like you can have the suction yes. on and it can be so loud that almost the communication issue was I just couldn't hear. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's made it. Oh, it's like some irritating factor in the background which decreases yeah. patience. Yeah. Yeah. It's so silly or like, you know, um, yeah, just little things like, like, like you said, communication styles. I think that's a huge one where um, communication fails is when our style of communication is different um, mm-hmm. and when we have different communication styles or, um, yeah, and I think that's, that's important um, to know. Um, are there any ones you can think of in your opinion when you think communication fails uh, and you think there's things that, yeah. Um, you mentioned like fatigue, tiredness being one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So things you that factors which which may impede good communication yeah. skills. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, fatigue's a big one. Uh, you know, like, and this is where, you know, we're going to sound a bit more, um, might be envious to the nurses out there, but sometimes paramedics get this little thing called a nap on a night shift, you know, you might have a break back at station and you fall asleep on the recliner, you know, yeah. and, and then you get buzzed, woken up, you know, 25 minutes later to, to the job that was waiting. Yep. Um, and sometimes when it's like, you say it's two o'clock in the morning and it's in that real fatigue dead space and you get woken up halfway through your REM cycle or something like that. <laughs> and it's just, you naturally, you feel like a one-year-old, you're just grumpy, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> and you get this sleep inertia, you know, it takes yeah. like 15 minutes. And so if you go to a case, which is like, um, you know, only five or 10 minutes away and you're still getting over that sleep inertia. That's, um, that's something which um, can definitely impede. And it's something where it's like, you've got to, you've got to um, learn to be, to not let your feelings impact how you're communicating, how you're, you know, and, and the gravity of the situation that you might be going to. Just before we started recording this, you know, I shared this, this post in my story and I tagged you and you shared it back and, it was this um, BJJ guy and he shared this quote, um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for those who don't know. Um, he shared this quote that, you know, if, you're, if you can be calm in little stressful situations of everyday life, then you can be calm in a stressful situation of a big event or a big fight sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. um, and Jesus said something similar, you know, he, he was faithful in that which is least will be faithful in much. So if we can learn, and this is where like it goes to you as a person rather than just you as a paramedic or a nurse or a clinician, it's like try and be patient like that in in your little little things of life. So, like for instance, my one year old was unwell last night. You know, got pretty ro- like rotten sleep. You know, up mm. and down, up and down, sort of thing. Um, but but I see it as an opportunity um, to to try and yeah be calm and and develop patience. You know, patience doesn't develop unless you have opportunities to exercise mm. it. So um, so yeah, that's where communication. That's for me. That's where like I see. That's a big one for me right now that I'm working on. So I don't know. Other other breakdowns, communication, I guess some personality clashes with, yep. the, you know, if, with the patient or person, um, you know, healthcare consumer and yourself. Mm. Uh, yeah, for what? sure. Missed meal break. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. I, I had some ones like cognitive bias or um, yes. cognitive load, um, jargon and authority hierarchy or gradient when you're working with somebody who, um, you know, is maybe a higher level than you that sort of say, no, we're yeah. doing this and you feel like that's yeah, yeah. contrary to the, you know, patient's best interest. Um, you know, we said physics, we, we talked about noise constraints or even logistics being an issue uh, or linguistics sure. being an issue. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing. Like sometimes yeah. you might be maybe a, um, you know, culturally diverse location and you you know there might be a different culture of communication um yeah. with the the patient the person you're giving care to um and then also one of the ones you mentioned before the thing which brought me brought, um which it brought to my mind was let's say you had a cardiac arrest or something where someone's peri arrest or it's very 
um, time critical and there's a lot to do uh, and you're, you're task focused and a family member is there and you have to sort of step back a year, you know, when you talk to them and be sensitive and that can be something which can be challenging as well. Yeah, that's good, man. I like that. That stuff's good. Um, yeah. And there's all different, like, I mean, everyone can look at different acronyms out there for strategies in a crisis. There was one that the um, New South Wales paramedics put out there, which was epic. And it, um, it was actually put out for ventilator issues when you have high, um, high volume or high pressure alarms on the ventilator. It's all epic. Right. One of the retrieval yeah. boys showed me, and it's like, basically you call out, I have a high pressure alarm. Can someone help me troubleshoot? Uh, and then you run through the troubleshooting steps, like patient, uh, ventilator, uh, you mm, know, and mm. it just goes through. It's really cool um, position. Yeah. And yeah. it's really rad because it's like very, um, it's scriptive, but it's so good because it's like making it aware that I've got an issue. Yes. Uh, I want to bring it to the table and I'm going to follow my algorithm uh, and it's going to be heard by other people. And then we can yes. solve the issue that I'm going through. And I think that's a love when there's things like that that can help us. Yeah. It's a facilitator of teamwork. Yeah. Like yeah. that's really cool. I like that. Like HP CPR. I love that. Yeah. I love the high performance CPR. It's like a pit crew, you know, and I love it when it, it's just such a satisfying thing when it works yeah. like a well-oiled machine, you know? Yeah. yeah and, man. and things, things, things work effectively and quickly. Yeah. When you're mm. doing that. So that's awesome for sure. Yeah. And I've like I've seen people do it really well, um, mm. and well, I've seen people try to do it and maybe miss the mark, but then sort of like being able to reflect on it and think, oh, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't say it the way I meant to, and sort of at the end yeah. of the debrief said, oh, this is what I meant by this. Yeah, uh, I think that's yeah. cool that we're getting to the to the um, stage where we're starting to reflect heaps more in our practice. I um, love it, and I think one of the things which factors into this is like, yeah, we have hierarchies um, that. that but the culture nowadays is coming to a lot more, you know, to being everyone's equal and just mm. has different roles rather than one is superior and this and that. Yep. Um, so like with, you know, the culture in my service and probably Australia-wide is, you know, with advanced cares or intensive care paramedics, uh, you know, obviously they are um, superior in rank in terms of their, their knowledge and aptitude mm. uh, and uh, skills. Uh, but very much they let you still run the case if you've called them for backup. Yep. And they just offer, you know, the support that you need. And that's, that's really cool, uh, I think. And it makes people more comfortable with speaking out when, when they need help and things. Mm. Yeah. I think what was cool too is I've, I did hear a saying that was said to me. It was, Ben, you'll stoop to the, when you're in a crisis mode, you're going to stoop to the level of your training. So if you've trained mm. really well and spent a lot of time, you know, finessing some of the work in relation to communication, that when it's really hectic and you can't think, if you've done all that hard training, you'll put it into practice. But if you've never done any of it, you've never worked on how to communicate, even that closed loop, or you've never learned how to yes. have a difficult conversation, or you've never learned how to probe or have great assertiveness ever, then you'll never step into it because you've never done it. But if no, you have, it's not enough it, just to be like, oh yeah, that's the that's the algorithm. Cool, I remember that. Yeah, you, you won't. It's not enough. No, nah, yeah, using yeah. it daily, like not not in. You don't always need to use great assertiveness. You don't always need to. Um, you know, but we do use little things along the journey, uh, that you can put into practice. It's like training. Like if I've practiced running, you know, my 5k run, you know, three times a week, yeah. when it gets the chance that I need to do it, I can activate that and go, bro, I've, I've trained. I can do 5k. Let's go. Yeah. Um, makes a difference. Yeah. It makes it comes cruising. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. That's uh, one of the guys actually who commented in one of those posts that I was mentioning before in terms of, I can't remember if it was laces or the, the other one. Um, he he's, uh, has a military background and he said, like, you know, from experience, like you need to practice these things like at least once a month. It's not just like a once a year thing. Yeah. Like have a scenario once a month and just go through it. And I like that about, you know, military type folk. Uh, one yeah. of my colleagues is an ex-Marine. And yep. whenever you work with him, he starts to shift off with a couple of scenarios. Like you just go straight to the sim sensor and you just work through a couple of scenarios, you know, and it's, that's cool. I love it. Yeah, we, 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 we're doing it too, like in here too. Um like pop-up sims, man, almost, but they don't always have to be like, like high fidelity. They can be so low that you're almost doing a, a quick discussion, like a five minute discussion. Mm. We're going to a, a, you know, 1A or whatever, you know, whatever you, whatever you call it, uh, a pediatric patient for yeah, yeah. a head injury. Um, mm. What are your thoughts? What would you do? I'd go this, I'd yeah. go that. Just, just to, you're almost mentally thinking about the case before you're there, just in case. And that's the for practicing sure. before you get to one of those, you might not ever get it, in the yeah, week, yeah. month, or year, but it's you're ready, and that's the key is like being able to be aware 
uh, of your environments. Um, and we did have a case recently where we'd been running all these sims and the feedback from the debrief was that the nurse, the team seemed like they were, had practice together. It was really cool. Like that was Ooh, a feedback. That's so good feedback. That, yeah. that, that's taken a lot of years to get to that, but that was just the certain team that was on. And I was like, wow, that shows that they've done the training. I like it. Yeah. Hey, uh, look, I can testify to that. When we, like, um, intra OCS access only came into paramedic level last year, early yep. last year, did the training. Uh, a few months later, my colleague and I, like, hey, we should do some like revision on this. Did some revision. There was a flight um, paramedic there uh, on stations to like he run us through some things. And then next job we get cardiac arrest and couldn't get access, vascular access. So we were able to, you know, achieve that intra OCS access um, straight away, which probably wouldn't have been as straightforward if we hadn't done that revision you know after one training session months ago so yeah for sure that carries across to all these non-technical skills 100 percent um i think these like we said at the beginning and like you say the communication um is you know the big ticket item right now it's what we're realizing we're really bad at and we need Mm -hmm. a lot more of and it's easier to become to get into like a, a production line mentality um and get jaded you know we all know the jaded paramedic senior clinician or you know who's um who's just uh pretty gruff and short but uh yeah employing you know and this is the thing which is so awesome like iq is something which is pretty static we can't really modulate our iq individually but we can modulate and improve our emotional intelligence our eq Mm -hmm. and that's where like our ability to communicate effectively comes from um so like i'm full of hope with this sort of thing um for the industry uh for myself as well and Mm -hmm. um yeah, I'm really, really interested in watching the uh, this space. Yeah. So, um, and take and how can people find your staff if they want to, you know, watch all your vids or they want to get in contact with you and maybe collab something or they want to, um, you know, see what you're doing. How do they get in contact with you? Yeah. Cool. So, um, you can just find us at Student Paramedics on Instagram and TikTok, uh, and on YouTube as well. If you haven't had enough of my voice on here, then go and go and check out those pages um yeah we just like what we spoke about we just put content out like this um we, we, we also identified a gap um when we we're chatting with uh caa if you're a paramedic you know who they are um in terms of like education during covid you know online stuff is where people were really really um searching and going for um mm. you know extracurricular and um, education you know to augment their university studies and cpd and so we've been really motivated by by that sort of space. So that's what we're mostly putting out now. It's been a bit of a break now because um, the team is pretty fluid. Like I'm the main main guy, and then there's other people that sort of come and go in in, in assisting. And right now we're in a bit of a lull. And I've just moved house and a few different things, you know, going on. So there's a bit of a lull. But yeah, for sure, shoot me a DM. I'm always keen for a chat, uh, reply to all the DMs. And um, if you have any questions, do shout out. Yeah, I love, and I love to be able to chat with people because I think people don't realize when you've got an Instagram page, if it's one follower or a hundred or thirty thousand, that every comment is important. And um, I know there's some comments that some people would like to slide across and get rid of, um, but I do think that sometimes it's really important that most of the people behind that are clinicians who do care about what they do and they do want to listen yeah. to feedback and they do rely on it and they do get a buzz out of hearing from people that are saying, "Oh, this is my experience with this," or um, most of the time it's takes a bit of, um, you know, I can say balls to put yourself out there in terms of it takes a bit of, you know, it's hard because you, you know, you might internally focus and think, oh, does people want to hear this? And, you know, it, mm-hmm. it takes, to put yourself out there, it does take a bit of work. Uh, it's never easy. Most of the time you do it in your own time. Um, but I love all your stuff, man. I think it's really helpful, mm-hmm. useful. Uh, and if I was training as a paramedic, it'd be something that I'd go to. So um, I think people should have a look at it. There's some really good stuff. And it's always up thanks, to some cool up-to-date stuff. So, Yeah, uh, thanks, Ben. I appreciate that. And likewise, you know, man, I was stoked to find another Aussie clinician on the uh, online space here. And I love I love how you, you know, my stuff is mostly just solely emergency medicine, paramedic sort of focused stuff. But I love the way you, you get in contact with all these different specialists and different fields, which um, help inform us, you know, where our patients are going, what sort of care they're getting in the future. So I've found it really cool listening, listening to your content and, um, Yeah, look forward to continuing that relationship. Hey, Legends, that's another wrap to the EGM podcast episode. I hope you liked it. Um, Make sure you go check out Theo's uh, Instagram. 
You can find him, Student Paramedics, on Instagram. He's got some awesome videos, some awesome content out there. Um, he is really um, out there in the social media presence. And I'd recommend checking him out. Um, hit him a DM, hit him a message. He loves to hear from people. He loves basically, you know, talking to people online and also being in that space. Um, he puts out a lot of questions in relation to, you know, last week he put out some stuff on pediatric sepsis. So I really recommend engaging in that content. And you can really see the thread from other people who are commenting as well. And you get some different ideas and different perspectives. Um, Theo was awesome. I really enjoyed his content. And I think it's stuff that we can apply into the clinical context. Go check it out. Send me a message if you enjoyed the episode. Um, if you had any questions, um, you, that's a wrap. I really love the mnemonic that um, Theo was running through in relation to that personal safety and situational awareness that laces. I think we, maybe there's something that you do in your clinical context or that you've been taught. Hit me a message. Um, maybe there's an, a way in which you have taught um, people in your industry about situational awareness. Um, I'd love to hear how you deal with it or what you've learnt before. I think there was some cool stuff that Thea raised. Um, I know there's ways in which I can be more situationally aware when I'm working in a clinical context. Um, it also made me really think about people that have had these you know, trauma done to them. You know, they go to a scene, they're there to help someone, and then you know, the, the card's flipped and then suddenly the anger or aggression or something's raised towards them. Uh, and it makes me realise, you know, in the context of being a paramedic, that you're by yourself or you're with a partner but there's only two of you and you mu they must go to some crazy stuff um, it also makes me think about you know one of the most trusted professions nursing um, medicine and, and paramedicine but also sometimes one of the most um, miss you know treated uh, clinicians and I think that's police you know ambulance and paramedics nurses and doctors and it's sort of and, and other allied professionals uh, and you know you can be the one of the most trusted people but still be treated or mis mistreated some of the worst ways. Uh, and I think that's hard because you almost become so vulnerable to be that clinician. You almost give all of yourself uh, and then you can have the you know ball flip the other way. Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that sort of stuff. Hey, Frothers, I'd love to hear from you. So send me a message if you want to chat. Um, also, you can follow me on Insta, EDGM underscore podcast. I'd love to get some interaction with you in relation to you know your clinical context, where you're working, if you like the podcast, maybe you didn't. But I'd love to hear from you. Um, send me a message and I hope you have a great week. Ciao. The EDGM podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on which this recording is occurring today, the Darawal people, and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging.